I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm doing my best as a stay-at-home mom. And, and Bruce was doing his best. He's trying to be earning enough money and trying to take care of the family. And he was great with the kids. And, and we were friends and we were we liked to be together. But it was hard. And why? Why, you know, would we stay up till three in the morning arguing? Or why would why would I have these things I'd be afraid to tell him about himself or about myself? Why? Why? I'm Bruce. And I'm Laura Lee. And this is Rewrite Your Marriage Podcast. And we have something a little special for you today. Uh, yeah, we're just going to give you a little bit of our background and let you know how we got to where we are now. Life is hard. It's it's tricky. After we've been married for over 30 years, we have eight children. We've been through quite a bit together. Mm-hmm. We've accomplished a lot. Yeah. But this wasn't easy. This is as amazing as we look right now. Amazing. This is hard. <laughs> Life is difficult. And I felt like we really needed to explain after you've gone through very difficult things in your marriage, mm-hmm. you can stay together. You can be stronger afterward, happier afterward, really feel good about your relationship. Yeah. But Laura Lee, you might be the best voice to really explain what that's like. No, I'm serious. I know. I'm, I've been so proud of you and all the things that you've accomplished. So I want to take this chance to let you tell your story. Okay. And so I'm going to step out for a sec and let you talk to the people here. All right. Okay. Love you. All right. Well, I guess this is all on me now. So I'm going to start at the very beginning. Uh, Bruce and I met in 1984 for the very first time, and we really got to know each other in high school in the 1984-85 school year. Uh, Started dating in 1985, and we dated for five years before we got married, so we got to be really good friends. We just knew each other really well. We were were very friendly friends, too. (laughs) And, you know, we've mentioned this in in a couple of our podcasts that you know, before you get married and you don't know what sex is all about and, but you're spending all this time together and you really like each other. Sex is really exciting. And so we got married and sex was pretty exciting. It was great. It was fun, but it didn't take very long before I was realizing that just because we happened to be in bed together didn't necessarily mean I was ready for sex. And a lot of times, you know, he was feeling it and I wasn't. And, and he was, he was starting to get frustrated it was pretty early on in our relationship that he came to me and he was very angry and he said that I had pulled a bait and switch on him and we mentioned this in our bait and switch podcast and he was just really angry. I had I was in the middle of a sewing project. I didn't want to have sex right then and, and finally I was just like, fine, whatever. We go to the bedroom, have like the worst sex ever. <laughs> and afterwards, uh, he worked a swing shift and so he had gone to work almost like immediately after that and I was just left to kind of think about it. At first, you know, I was just mad at him. I just thought, who does he think he is? Do I not get to have any say in this? Do I not have any opinion about this? And and it stuck with me for a long time. And I thought, wow, am I just really that kind of a person? Was I just, you know, because I was interested in sex before we got married. And was I just really trying to trap him into marrying me? And I thought, wow, I must be a really bad person for him to think that about me. Or on other days, I would think he was a really bad person (laughs) and he only married me because he wanted to have sex. And so I can sit here and I laugh and I smile about it now, but it was really difficult. I thought, 
I had done something really wrong. And if I wasn't thinking that I had done something really wrong, I was thinking that Bruce was really a bad guy. Uh, when we first got married, Bruce had a pretty good job. We started having babies. I was really cool. We were just, we were pretty happy our first few years. The only, the only really friction thing there was the sex thing where it would keep coming up every now and then. And it was like, oh, am I bad? Am I, I'm not any good. I'm mean to him. He's mean to me. Just that was always there. So we had our first baby in 1992. He was great. It was awesome. Just this cute little boy. And it was happy. I mean, those first few years when you're just getting started, they're happy. It's a lot of fun. And it's a lot of friendship, even with the little niggling things in the background. It was good. My parents went on a mission to Portugal, and we ended up living in their house, which was really nice for us. We had our second baby while we lived there. Things were pretty good. And he had a job. And then... My parents got back from their mission. We were all living together, which was fine enough. We love my parents, and Bruce loves my parents too, so it was all good. But he was starting to feel like he wanted to do something more. He wanted to go to school. He wanted to study audio engineering. And he had looked at different schools around the country, and they were very expensive, except for Middle Tennessee State University. He came and told me he wanted to do this, and it was July 24th. I remember because it was Pioneer Day that we said, okay, let's do this. And he applied for the school, and two weeks later, we had a moving truck packed up, and we were going to jump in our car with our two little boys and take this moving van and go out to Tennessee. But the whole time we were getting ready, Bruce was working, and I was packing up all our stuff, and I had an eight-month-old baby, and I had a three-year-old, and I was totally freaked out. We didn't have money to move. We actually had just barely paid off a credit card. And the only way we were going to pay for this move was to reopen that card. So I wasn't happy about that. I was stressed out trying to get us moved. I was stressed out about where are we going to live. Bruce hadn't even been accepted to the school yet. We're getting ready to jump in a car and go. And I would try to tell him during that time, like, I don't know if we should be doing this. I'm scared. I was really scared. And he would talk and he'd say, no, we said we were going to do this. We're going to do this. And and so I, I would step back and, and we were going to do it. And, and finally, two weeks later, from our decision date, we're headed out there. We took a week driving out there. It was stressful. And every day, the tension just built up more and more and more and more until we were finally there. We were staying in this hotel or motel, I'm sorry, that literally had fleas in it. <laughs> and we didn't have any place to go. Fortunately, our ward stepped up. Our Lee Society president invited us to dinner that first day. Bruce was accepted into the school. We had a place to live now. He was still looking for work, but he found a job pretty quickly, and things kind of leveled out, kind of smoothed out. It was hard on me. I was by myself with the little kids, but I made friends there who were pretty much in the same boat I was, and we got along. We were in Tennessee for three years. We were there for three years. We thought we would end up staying there, but we came back. Uh, his mom, but, well, we went there with two kids. We left with four. Bruce's mom really wanted us to be back so she could hang out with her grandbabies. And so she paid for us to go back. And so we went and we moved into his parents' house. Um, she was having some health issues there. And so I was really able to help out, not just, you know, be living there, but I was able to help with cooking and keeping the house going. And, and so that was good. And, you know, we enjoy being with them. In April of 2000, we bought our first house, and we were excited. Bruce was working for a video game company, making 
pretty good money. We were able, he was able to, with bonuses, save up money for a down payment on a house. We bought a nice little house. It was close to where my sister lived and it was pretty exciting. We moved in there, got, you know, got it all fixed up, moved into the house, made our first house payment on May 1st. I was excited because I still liked paying the bills because we still had money to pay the bills, right? And Bruce came home that afternoon, right? I mean, like, it could have been like a sitcom. I had just sent out the check. <laughs> Bruce walks in the door and I'm like, what's going on? And he said, I just got laid off. And it was just like, oh my goodness, crazy. I just, what are we going to do now? I was panicked. I was so scared. But, you know, he could find another job and, and he was looking for a job and th just things didn't come up. Things didn't come up. He ended up going back to the microchip plant for about nine months at about two thirds of the pay that got us into the house that we could just barely afford. And so it was super stressful. It was just, it was scary. Oh, I forgot to mention that while we lived with grandma, we had a fifth baby. So we had, we were up to five kids now and he was working at this place, not making enough money, still looking for more work. Our financial situation was super stressful. And we had all these little kids. And that's a little bit stressful. They were fun, but, you know, kids. And and the sex thing, though, was still riding out, playing out in the background where he was feeling kind of misused because he wasn't getting as much attention as he wanted. And I was feeling misused because I'm like, I'm really stressed out. <laughs> but I knew this was important. And so, you know, it's not like it was always bad. We still had sex. We kept having more babies. Um, over the next three years, we, we had three babies and throughout that time, the work situation was still, still iffy. He, um, was working for a medical laboratory company doing audio visual work for them and they paid pretty well, but still not what it was to get us into the house. And so it was a struggle. It was tight. And now I had eight little babies. My oldest was 11 and a half when I had number eight. So lots of little kids. And so there was just, you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of kind of what you expect, not what you hope for when you, I mean, when you first get married, you don't expect any of that. Like everything is going to be great. You're going to go to school. You're going to get a good job. I'm going to have kids and stay at home and everything is going to be really great. And it was, it was good. And we were friends and we loved our kids. Our family was awesome, but we just weren't making enough money. And there was still this little sex fight going on. Not all the time, but it was there. He would come home with books about sex, which is how I knew things were just like, oh, and then I was like, oh, he's trying to fix me. I'm doing it wrong. I'm, I'm frigid. I'm awful. Just, I always felt like I was doing things wrong in, in the sex department. I was trying, I was doing my best to hold the house together and the kids together. It was, it was hard. All right. So a lot of this was just, you know, everyday married stuff. But it's hard. It's really hard when you're in the middle of it to see, to see through it, to see past it. He was working different jobs, different hours, substitute teaching. I mean, just a lot of different things that were just not steady. And I had these eight little kids and I had people pressuring me saying, you should go get a job. You should go get a job. And then I was feeling guilty about that. I was like, oh my goodness, what can I do? Because even if we just put the four youngest in daycare, that would have been 20,000 a year. I'm like, what job, and this is in hindsight that I was thinking this all out, what job would possibly pay for the daycare and still help us out? I didn't have a bachelor's degree or even an associate's degree, so what could I do? 
on top of that, I just felt so strongly that I needed to stay home with my kids. And another guilt thing is like, am I being bad? Am I being selfish? Am I, am I rationalizing, you know, just what I want to do? So that's hard. It's really hard. It's, it's scary to just constantly thinking, what have I done wrong? And what am I doing wrong? And what can I do better? And what, what can I change? Or part of it, I guess, really is the pressure of being the mom. So I have my kids that I have to take to school and, and my house was never clean. And, and it takes two hours to prepare dinner and it takes an hour to go shopping. I'm driving my kids to and from school and, and I was exhausted. And I would tell Bruce, I need your help. I need you to help me. And he'd say, well, I'm not home. I, I mean, I can straighten the house and stuff while I'm home, but I can't do much when I'm at work. And I said, no, I need you to get the kids on board. I need you to work with them. I can't, they don't do what I ask. And if you're the stay at home parent, you know what I'm talking about. They just, they listen to the one who's not there all the time better than they listen to the one who is there. And it's just not fair. I'm telling you, it is just not fair. <laughs> but I would be just pleading, like, Bruce, I need you to help me. And, and he would listen to me and I'd think he's on board. And he said, well, I'll talk to the kids. The talks with the kids never went anyplace. We would have like a family council where we'd say, you know, I would come up with, this is how we're going to organize our chores for everybody. And Bruce came from a household where he felt like his dad was really overbearing. And, and he was, and he didn't want to be that way. But at the moment he would, he would try to get the kids to buy in. We would have these family councils where I would present whatever chore plan I had come up with at the time that Bruce and I said, yeah, that looks good. And we talked to them about the kids and, you know, they would look the way you'd expect your kids to look. And they were not happy about it. And then Bruce would try to get their buy-in. So he'd ask them what their opinion was or what did they think about it. And then it would just all fall apart. And we would end up having these hour, hour and a half long discussions where it just devolved into nothing was resolved. So I hated these family councils. I, there were times where I just like, why are we even doing this? Sometimes he would say, well, let me play the bad guy. I don't, I don't mind if you say, when dad gets home, he's going to get you. So I'm like, okay, great, awesome. I'll, I'll, I can live with that. And so I tell that to my kids and he'd come home and I'd say, okay, this is what happened today. And he'd go in and I'd be like, hey guys, how's it going? I'm like, that's not what I wanted. That, no, <laughs> you're not, you're not giving them this message that they really need to participate in the house. And so I was super frustrated. I was tired. I was exhausted, not feeling sexy. Let me tell you, just wondering how, how can I do this? And I would bring it up again. And I just, I'm sure it just felt like nagging to him. Just why is she always nagging me about this? And so then I feel like I'm a nag, <laughs> but I need the help. Finally, he said, you know, the house doesn't look that bad. And I'm like, look around at this house and say, okay, okay, I can see that, but it's just not on our radar. We don't see it. It is not on my radar. And I hated that. I hated that. Maybe, you know, the first time wasn't so bad, but he would tell me that over and over and over again. It's not on our radar. It's not on our radar. It's not on our radar. And I started hearing, we're not going to do anything about this. This is your problem. I'm not here. It's all up to you. Um, it's just too bad. We don't see it. We're not going to see it. And so it was all my problem. It was all my problem. There was one time when he told me, I was asking him about it again, talking to him about it again. And he says, the kids don't do the work because you don't expect them to do it. Oh my gosh. I was so mad. I was so angry. I thought, 
I say what I mean. When I say something, that is exactly what I mean and what I expect. And you're the one who doesn't have any expectation of them. I did not say that to him because that was part of my problem is that I would hold back. I wasn't, I didn't fight. I kind of grew up in a place where I always felt like I was in trouble and I did not, you just didn't talk back. You know, I would think, oh, you rotten guy. You're the one with no expectations, but I did not say it, which I'm sure just contributed to the whole problem. Anyway, I was so mad this one time that I had really long hair and I kept it long because he liked it. And I went and cut it so short that I could spike my hair. Anyway, so this, this was an ongoing thing. It was just going on and on and on. Finally, we had been in our house for 15 years in West Valley City, and he got a job in Vernal. And for the first year, he was working in Vernal, and we were still living in West Valley. We were trying to figure out housing. We finally got moved to Vernal. We ended up living with some friends of ours for much longer than we anticipated, which was its own kind of stress. And then we moved into the house that we're in now in 2017. And it was still going on. My kids were older. It just wasn't any better. If anything, it was worse because at least when they were little, I could say, hey, guys, you need to do this. And they would make a little bit of a show of it. But as they get older, why they get really good at that passive aggressive, not doing the work, right? And it was even harder because now they should be able to help. They should know this by now. And I would think... You know, if he had just talked to them when they were little, this would not be a problem. If he had just done this when they were younger, if he had just backed me up when they were younger. And so I would go in between being angry, just being exhausted, being tired, being stressed out. It was just hard, 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 hard. It's like, but the hardest part of it was that I felt like he didn't listen to me and he didn't understand me and he didn't care. It was just not on their radar. They just were not going to see it. And, and so it was my problem. My dad had died in 2016, so just before we bought our house. That was really hard on me. And then in 2021, I got a call from my sister. My mother, who was 90, had fallen down and broken her arm, and, and she broke it up high, so they couldn't, they couldn't put a cast on it. They didn't want to do surgery to put a pin in it, or a plate, I think is what they said, because they were afraid she wouldn't survive the surgery. She had osteoporosis. They didn't know if the plate would hold in place. And my mom was not doing well. And so I went down to Salt Lake and my sister and I took care of her um, for a week. She was in hospice and, and it made, it didn't make any sense. How does your perfectly healthy mother and die in one week because she broke her arm. But we were there. We were keeping her medicated. I'm pretty much in a in a coma until she passed away. So it was so hard. It was so stressful. My family was all up here. Bruce was working at a new job. And I was just, sorry, grieving and stressed out and it was 24-hour care, so my sister and I were rotating, you know, who slept for how long, but neither one of us was really sleeping, you know, exhausted. I stayed there through the funeral at my mom's house while we planned the funeral, and my family came down. We had the funeral, and I got to go home with them, and it was hard. It was hard to lose one parent. Two is, like, awful. <laughs> um... 
Bruce would tell me while I was there taking care of my mom how great the kids were doing, taking care of things. And but when I got home, it all just stopped. And it was back on me again. And now if it felt unfair before, let me tell you, it was horrible now. It was like, you don't even care. It was just like back to life as usual. I mean, Bruce would comfort me when I was sad and crying about my mom, but everything else was just the same. I still had all the work. I still had all the stress. I was still trying to uh, pay bills with, you know, just barely not enough money. I was still, sex was still an argument. Within a week, I got a call from my family saying, we need people to come and clear out the house because we want to sell on a short sell. And, you know, my one brother had used up all of his leave from work that he could use. He was back in another state. Another brother was in another state. He couldn't come back very easily. Everybody who lived in, in Utah worked except for me. And so I said, okay, I'll go. And I was you know, trying to sort through her papers and see what's important, what's not, and and her personal belongings to see who's going to want what. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to bring them home and do like an online auction with my family. And so I'm trying to get this all sorted out. And I was not sleeping. I was grieving. There was the feeling that it wasn't even just that my mom died, that we, we killed her, you know, <laughs> she had a broken arm. Why would she die from that? And it was so hard. And then when the house is finally sold and I'm back to Salt Lake. Literally, I walked into the kitchen when I got home. We had brought home, we had a 12-passenger van. We filled it up three or four times with stuff from my mom's house that I was going to have to figure out how to take care of. And I walk into the kitchen. I had a son in there who was working on dinner. And when I walked in, he walked out and I took over and finished it was more than I can handle. It was more than I could do. I could keep quiet all this time, relatively quiet, you know, asking for help, but not really complaining. But I brought it up to Bruce again. I said, I can't do this. This is too much for me. I have all this work. I have all these people here who are big enough to help and they're not helping. And I need you to help me. And it was the same thing. And I think he even was still saying, it's just not on our radar. And I remember standing at the kitchen sink one day doing the dishes and I was thinking about all this I was thinking I am so stressed out I'm grieving we're having all the same fights we've always had and nobody is seeing me nobody sees how I feel nobody is hearing me nobody is listening to me nobody is doing anything with me nobody is helping me I remember one time Bruce came home and I said this is really hard. I'm upset and I need help. And literally mid sentence, he walked out and I thought, well, I can't blame him. I mean, the, this is all I talk about. This is like, my life is cleaning the house and cooking meals and buying groceries. And who wants to listen to that all day long? But I felt like we have nothing to talk about. Are we even friends? Do we even still like each other? And so I'm standing there, I'm doing the dishes, and I'm thinking all of this through, and I thought, I could call my sister, my older sister. She would come get me in a heartbeat, and she has an extra room, and I could stay with her, and I would be out of there. And I thought, I thought obviously, you know, Bruce would be really, really unhappy with that, but I didn't feel like we were very happy now. And I thought, well... My kids would be really unhappy. They would be really sad about this. They'd, they wouldn't understand. 
I thought Bruce's dad would be really unhappy. Our friends would be unhappy. My sister, who would be on my side and come pick me up, probably wouldn't be happy about it, right? I go through this whole set of people who would be unhappy if I just walked out. And then the very last thing I think is, I wouldn't be happy. This would not make me happy. But I was miserable. So I was stuck. I was in a very stuck place. But I knew that that wasn't going to make me happy to leave. And so I had to hang on. I guess there must have been like a little bit of hope in me still. But I really did not know how it was going to play out or how it was going to turn out. All right, so how did I get from, you know, crying in the kitchen, ready to call my sister to haul me away, to, you know, I can smile at you here. It wasn't until, you know, after, after the whole thing, my mom's death is probably within a year of that, we learned how to talk to each other. We learned how to open up and say really hard things to each other, things that we didn't want to tell each other, not... Well, partly because we didn't feel it was going to get anywhere, because it could start that cycle again. It could start that fight that was going to go nowhere. And also out of fear of not being hurt, and also out of fear of hurting each other. They're hard. It's hard to talk about. But we had some breakthroughs. And, you know, it's not like, the heavens open up and now everything's perfect. No, because the same issues keep coming up now, but we're better at it. And there's hope. There's hope. It doesn't have to be bad. Will it still be hard? Yeah, it's still going to be hard. But it gets better. It gets better. He's back. I so appreciate your story. I really am listening to you and I'm thinking you just weren't being heard. You're trying to live your life and be the best wife, mom, person you could be and you're just trying to be happy and yet there's all this frustration and all this pain how do we go from that to the wonderful place we are today good question we'll talk about that change next time when we get back yeah. to again. Yeah. love you love you too